0: Well, good morning church, how are you doing? Not too bad. We'll take it. Well, good morning. We are excited that you guys are here. We just want to say welcome to everybody, including all of you out at the Verdigris and Stone Canyon locations. We are uh, excited that you are here today. Uh, and if you're listening to this online, then we are glad you're listening in as well. Uh, we are going to continue moving through this AD series as we continue uh, studying the book of Acts. We've been in this study for about 12 weeks now, and we're about to kind of close in on this last little home stretch here. We've got today, and then next week, Matt will wrap up the last of this series, and then of course we have Easter after that, which we are excited about. Um, But we've seen over the last several weeks as we've been uh, in the book of Acts, uh, we've seen how uh, the church has begun to uh, take shape and also how it's exploded uh, numerically and ethnically and geographically as God has really taken His church uh, and just seen it uh, begin to reach the far corners of the earth as He promised He would do. But probably more than anything, uh, we've seen a group of people who have gone and shared their faith with the people around them. They've gone and they've told the story of how Jesus has died and how he has risen and how he will come again. And today we're going to see a little bit more of that. Um, And in this few minutes that we have together, uh, I hope that if we can get just one thing, if if we can leave uh, with only one thing, then it's this. Church, I hope that at all three campuses I can encourage us with the word of God to tell the story. Uh, Do you remember the first time that you ever shared your faith with somebody else? Uh, I was probably about oh, 8 or 10 years old, something like that. And we spent a lot of time at our uh, grandparents' house during that time, especially during the summers. My grandparents lived kind of out in the sticks. And so, as uh, most little boys do, uh, you know, we'd spend a lot of time building forts, digging holes, climbing trees, all that sort of stuff. Well, at some point, uh, I'm not sure how, but my brother and I, we met the neighbor who lived just up the street. It was uh, the next-door neighbors, but they were kind of separated. And so somehow we, we met them and uh, ended up developing a relationship with this other guy. Um, He was probably just a little bit older than me, in between my brother and I's age, and uh, we struck up a relationship with him and spent lots of time playing. Well, over this time, over the course of time, uh, we discovered that their family, and including this boy, uh, weren't Christians. Uh, They didn't believe in Jesus, and I don't remember what motivated us, uh, what kind of stirred in my brother and I, um, but we decided that we were going to share our faith with this guy. And so we came up with a plan. Uh, we told my grandpa about it, and so he went over to this uh, stack of green leather King James Bible, still in a plastic wrap that I think he had just for such occasions, and he gave us one. And what we decided we were going to do was we were going to go over, we were going to invite him to come over and hang out, and we were going to talk to him about our faith in Jesus. And so, you know, we went out, and, and the idea was that my big brother, who was, you know, a little more bold than I was, he was going to do most of the talking, and I was going to hang on to the Bible and then chime in whenever I saw fit, Right. And so we did that, and uh, you know, unfortunately, we weren't successful in our endeavors. Um, But I don't remember a whole lot about how the actual conversation went. But I remember one thing. I remember that I was scared. I was absolutely petrified, uh, you know, I didn't think he was going to you know, punch me in the face or anything like that, but I'm sure I was worried about, you know, what would he think about us, uh, you know, what would he do or what would he say, would he want to be friends anymore, would he still want to come over and play, uh, you know, I, I don't think that I was really ashamed of what I believed in, but I think for the most part, I just felt intimidated, Because here I was, uh, this little kid who didn't really know much of anything at all, and I'm trying to talk with this uh, bigger kid, uh, this older kid than me, and I was way outside of my comfort zone. And when it comes to sharing your faith, do you ever feel the same way as I did? Uh, To be totally honest with you, um, I still do a lot today. Um, I'm not really an extroverted person, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really confrontational by nature. I'm a little bit more of a peacekeeper. I'm not a really uh, big personality. Uh, people who know me a little bit uh, know that on a uh, slightly isolated, rare, almost never happens occasion, I can be a little bit talkative somewhat once in a while. <laughs> but people who know me a lot know that I'm not really a bold personality. You know, I'm not the person in a group setting who, you know, always raises hands to answer the questions. I'm not like the social butterfly at parties. I, uh, I don't speak up. I'm not really super loud. And, and that's not uh, everything when it comes to evangelism, but, but also my spiritual gift uh, is not that. Uh, evangelism just isn't my natural strength. Uh, and now I have a great admiration for those people for whom it is, um, but that's not what I'm just naturally good at. That's not what I'm strong at. And yet, I recognize that part of what it means to be a follower of Christ means that I am called to bear witness to what I have seen and heard. Uh, uh, To be obedient to Jesus means that you and I, we're supposed to be making disciples. You remember that great commission Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And that's not just a, a leadership thing or an elder thing or a staff thing or an elite thing or something like that. That call is for all of us, and that's how the church understood it. They went out, and they made disciples. And we also see uh, Paul, how he writes in 2 Timothy 4.2. You remember those words when he says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. But if we're honest, for a lot of us, sometimes that's pretty hard. Sometimes that, that's difficult. Uh, it kind of reminds me, uh, it takes me back to uh, my days in high school, you know, when you're uh, trying to ask out that girl and getting up the courage, you know, to talk to her and you don't know how to start the conversation or what you're going to say. You get the whole, you know, nervous jitters and you got the sweaty palms and the sweaty pits and your mouth gets real dry and you're you know, like, what do I really say? And you're like, so uh, I was wondering, you know, maybe if you wanted to you know, hang out with Jesus sometime. And that's kind of what it feels like, right? Like sometimes for, for us, it can just feel difficult. So what do we do? What do we do when our head and our heart says that we want to be faithful to what Jesus has called us to do, and yet our hands and our feet and sometimes our gut say, slow down? Well, I think that our text today uh, will show us we can find a couple of things that can be really helpful for those of us who struggle with this. Um, Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. So if you've got your Bibles, and I encourage you to go ahead and pull those out. Uh, if you're here at the North Garnett campus, there should be one in the seat behind you, um, or you can see them on the screen. Uh, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 26 today. And what we see here is Paul giving a defense of his faith before this guy named Agrippa. Uh, Now this is a really cool section of Scripture because what we see here is probably uh, the clearest and most detailed section of Scripture where we have someone giving a personal witness to another person, both in the whole book of Acts and in all of Scripture probably. But before we can really understand what's going on here and, and really figure out all that Paul is saying, uh, we've got to kind of come back a little bit and say, how did we get here? Because chapter 26, unlike a lot of stories that we see in the book of Acts, like last week, uh, you know, we saw how uh, Paul was going on this missionary journey and he goes from city to city and we kind of see little little snippets of the time that he spends there. Well, what happens here, it's not just this one little isolated story. This is really the culmination of what happens between Acts chapter 21 through 26. And so we have to ask this question, how did we get here? Uh, Well, after uh, Paul got done with his last missionary journey, uh, he decided to go home to Jerusalem. And so he's there, not but a couple weeks even, before he goes to the temple to pray. And while he's in the temple, the Pharisees see him. Now, the Pharisees and Paul know each other. You guys remember that that's what Paul was on track to be when he was growing up. We talked about that several weeks ago with Saul's conversion, right? And so a lot of these guys are like old colleagues of Paul. And so they see him, uh, but even though they used to work with Paul, they haven't for some time, but they know who he is because Paul has been going and he's been planting churches all over the area in all these different cities. And the Pharisees, well, they don't like it. And so what do they do? They decided to stir up some trouble for Paul, and they get all the crowds who were there. Remember, this is in the middle of the city. The temple is like the central part of the the city, and so they get all these crowds, all these people there. They start stirring up these riots against Paul. They're claiming that Paul has done things that he hasn't done and that he's said things that he hasn't said, and just trying to stir up all this trouble for him. To the point where they start having these riots and they even take Paul and they try and start beating him. To where even the Roman soldiers actually have to step in and intervene. Uh, partly to, to calm these riots that are, starting to, uh, that are starting to go on. And partly for Paul's very safety because they're going like, to take his life if they don't do anything about this. And so Paul gets arrested but the Pharisees continue this elaborate plot to try and kill him. It starts to sound a little bit like the story of Jesus if you remember. But so they go on this elaborate Paul to try and have him killed, and that begins uh, this long process of trials, starting with this governor by the name of Felix. And so through chapters 23 and 24, we see Paul making his defense before this governor, Felix, this governor over the land. But then after a while, Felix steps down, his term is over, and he's replaced by this other guy named Festus. And so we see Paul making his defense before this guy as well. And through this long series of of events because of confusion and some corruption and all sorts of things, Paul ends up saying that he appeals to Caesar. And so Festus says, All right, you've appealed to Caesar, and so to Caesar you will go. And now, uh, when we're reading through the book of Ch- uh, Acts, we can kind of flip through a couple chapters in a couple of minutes, you know, and it doesn't take us very long. But this isn't just like a short thing. We see at the end of chapter four that Paul is actually in prison, he's held prisoner and he's making his defense. He's in chains for over two years. For over two years, he's held because of his belief in the resurrection of Jesus. And so that begs the question, why is this taking so long? Like, like if these guys are bringing up all these charges, and by the way, it says that they couldn't prove anything, so all these charges that these guys are bringing up, they've got like absolutely no case against him. So why would it take so long for all of this to go through? Well, partly, like I said, we've seen a little bit of uh, corruption uh, in the government and in what's going on there. But the other thing, too, is that uh, in this section, we're kind of at this really strange and unique crossroads between the Jewish culture and the Greek culture. Because you've got the Pharisees here who are claiming that Paul is doing all these things that are against their laws, but they don't really have any legal power to do anything about it. So they take him to these other guys, Felix and Festus, who are Roman governors over the land. And so they're the Roman guys, and they have the power to do something about it, except the problem is they don't have any laws against what Paul is doing. And so it's kind of hard to, well, what do we do? Well, he's breaking these laws, so we take him to you. But you say, that well, he hasn't broken any laws. And so it's kind of this really strange crossroads. And so uh, Festus really has no idea what to do because Paul has made his appeal to Caesar, and he said, that's fine, we can send you there, but what am I supposed to tell him? You're breaking a bunch of rules that really aren't rules, and in fact, he'll even say as he talks to King Agrippa about Paul in verse 18 of chapter 25, he says that when his accusers got uh, up, they, uh, sorry, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes that I expected. Instead, they uh, had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. And then he said, "I was at a loss of how to investigate such matters." So Festus doesn't even know where to begin. Enter Agrippa. So, who is Agrippa? Who is this guy, and why is he so important? Well, first of all, uh, Luke doesn't use his whole name. His full name is actually Herod Agrippa. Maybe that sounds somewhat familiar to you. Because remember, Herod's in the past. You've got Herod at Jesus' birth and Herod at Jesus' trial. And then you've got actually another Herod in chapter 12 of the book of Acts. And these aren't all the same guy, but this is a family name. You've got father down to son down to grandson. These are all guys who have been put as the rulers over the Jewish people by the Roman authorities. And so we've got this guy who is very, very powerful and very, very influential. But the other thing is Festus specifically seeks his advice out because he is uniquely qualified to speak in this case, because Agrippa is a Jew. But Agrippa lives in a Roman world, not too different from Paul himself. And so he here, while you have the Pharisees who have these laws but can't do anything about it, and you've got these Romans who can do something about it, but they don't have any laws, but Agrippa can understand both sides. And so Festus calls him in uh, to uh, try and shed some light on the subject here. But I think there's something even bigger going on here than just Paul's, uh, Paul's story. See, what we see here when Paul gives his testimony before King Agrippa... And the governor Festus is actually a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made back in Matthew chapter 10. You remember when Jesus took his disciples, he got them together, and he sent them all out to go and preach the good news? To go and spread the good news of the kingdom, that that, uh, the gospel is for all people, that the kingdom of God is here? And do you remember what he says to them? In the middle of this long speech to his disciples as he's sending them out, he says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 18, he says, On my account you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And what we see here is that Jesus' promises come true. Jesus is trustworthy, and this is the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus gave to his followers not quite so long ago. And so we see a bigger story going on here. We see God's bigger plan unfolding. So let's go ahead and get ready to jump into our text in Acts chapter 26 Uh, to set the scene. um, Paul comes into the courtroom and he's standing in front of something that looks sort of like uh, what might be like a Forbes 500 kind of list. So he's got, like, you know, King Agrippa, who's there, like, you know, the king over all the Jews, and then he's got the governor over the land. And not only that, but we see at the end of chapter 25 that all these high-ranking military officials come in. So you've got, you know, the king, and you've got the governor, and you've got all these generals come in, and not only them, but all the leading and prominent businessmen of the area, they're all there, too, to listen to what Paul has to say. And I think that if I was intimidated as an eight-year-old by this next-door neighbor kid, this would scare me to death. Have you ever been intimidated before? And yet Paul, the guy who says that we've not been given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of boldness, a spirit of power, he's not ashamed and he's not afraid. But he gives his testimony to all these people. And in this chapter, I think what we find is an encouragement to those of us who struggle on how to be faithful witnesses of our faith. So in chapter 26, I told you that I think there's a couple things in particular that we can be encouraged by, and the first one is this, if you're following all in their notes, and that's this, that we all have a unique story to tell. We all have a unique story to tell. Let's pick up at uh, verse 4 in chapter 26. Uh, Paul has been invited to go ahead and speak, he's made his address, and now he begins his story, and in verse 4 it says this, he says, "The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our answers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. And King Agrippa it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should you, any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And then he continues. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. What we see here in this first section as Paul is making his defense is Paul shares his past. Paul shares his life of who he was before he met Jesus. We all have a past, right? It's different for all of us. We've all got our own unique story. But Paul begins to use his story to make his case uh, in front of King Agrippa. And then he goes into uh, verses 12 through 18. And we won't read all of this here because this is just a recap of, if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about how Saul was, uh, how Saul was uh, reached out to by Jesus, how he met him on the Damascus Road and he was converted. And Paul lays out that whole story, the story of how Paul found Jesus. Some of you remember the day. Maybe God didn't blind you on the road to work or wherever you were going. But some of you remember the specific time when God called you to not be the person who you once were, but to be somebody new. Do you remember your story? Well, Paul shares his past, but then he shares how he met Jesus. And then he continues on in uh, verse Uh, Then in verse 19, we'll pick up there. He says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and all in Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate the repentance by their deeds. So Paul shares his past. Paul shares how Jesus found him, and then Paul shares how God has changed him. Because that's very different than the life he once lived. Because the life he once lived, he was persecuting Christians, and now he's going out and sharing his faith. He's he's trying to convert other people to be just like he is, a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul shares what God is now doing in his life. We've all got a story. We've all got a past. We've all got our story of how Jesus found us. We've all got our story of what Jesus is doing in me now. And we can use our story to impact others, to share with others how God is working in our life. In fact, your story of faith is probably one of the most influential and powerful tools, powerful testimonies to the resurrection of Jesus that you have. Now, the problem for some of us is that sometimes we feel like our story is not very special. Like there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing great about me, right? You know, I was a preacher's kid, or I you know, grew up in church, or, or whatever. Like that doesn't really you know, connect with anybody. Nobody wants to make a movie about my life. And believe me, I get it. I grew up in church. Actually, my dad baptized me when I was 11 years old over on 86th Street. I grew up here in Owasso, went off to Christian college, prepared for ministry, and then now here I am back at home. It doesn't sound too impressive, right? And yet, when I think about it, how really different is that from Paul's story? You remember Paul's past? Uh, Paul gave us that list of his accomplishments and who he used to be in Philippians chapter 3. He said, hey, I, I was a Jew. I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? I, I lived according to the law. According to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Like, you know, Paul doesn't have some past of, you know, I was on drugs or in prison or I got arrested or anything like that. Uh, Paul was like churchy kid of all churchy kids. And yet, and yet, Paul uses his story every chance he gets, even to testify before kings. Because you see, the reality is that our past is a big part of our own story, but our past isn't the most important part of our story. You see, all of us are messed up, and I I don't even care what what your background is, uh, that doesn't even matter. I mean, I've, you know, uh, I've never been arrested, I've never been divorced, I've never done drugs, I've, I've hardly had a speeding ticket in my life, but I am still a sinner desperately in need of God's grace, and I know that every one of you is too. Because all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us are in need of His grace. You see, our past isn't the most important part of our story. The most important part of our story is how God is working in us and the hope of new life that we have for our future. And every single one of us has our own story to tell. Doesn't matter if you've got some Hollywood movie or you're just a regular Joe, everyone can relate to your story. The reality is everyone has their own unique story to tell. In fact, that's what we want to challenge you to do today at all three campuses. What I want to encourage you today, there's uh, in those pews in front of you, you see these little sheets here? I hope that you guys would be willing to take one of these. Some of us have never even really thought through our own story because it doesn't seem that impressive to us. But here's what we're going to challenge you to do. Sometime this week, I want you to take that sheet home. And sometime this week, sit down. It may take you five minutes. It may take you an hour. It doesn't matter. But sometime, take that sheet home and think about your story and just write out those three things: your past, how Jesus found you, and what God's doing in you now. Your this is who I used to be, but this is how Jesus found me, and this is who I am now. This is what God is doing in my life today. And it doesn't have to be big and elaborate. You've just got a little half sheet size of paper but you can use your story to connect with other people because we're all people created in the image of God. We're all people who are sinners and need a savior, and everyone can relate to that. So I want to encourage all of you to do that because the reality is everyone has a unique story to share. But the second thing is this, is that we all share the same story to tell. Uh, Let's pick back up in verse 22 of chapter 26. Paul continues on, and he says this. He says, But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and to great alike. He says, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. And then there's this verse, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people, and to the Gentiles. See, Paul doesn't hesitate to share the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what Matt talked about last week. How about our hope isn't built upon what we want or what we like, or or even just a story, but our, our hope is built upon the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul doesn't hesitate to share that before King Agrippa. You see, uh, the, the truth is, your story and my story is all part of God's story, about how God is transforming all of us and bringing the dead to life. But all, about God's story is also all of our stories. You see, uh, sometimes uh, we get hung up in sharing that story with others. Uh, we get uh, nervous or, or, or we hesitate because of lots of reasons, because we're afraid, or, or a lot of times, because we're worried that we don't know all the answers. You know, well, what if they, you know, ask me about this, or what if they say that, and I don't have a response? Am I going to look dumb? Am I going to turn them away from Jesus? You know, I don't know all the, the details about all this, you know, creation, evolution stuff, or all this philosophy, or whatever. I, I don't know any of that. I'm just a regular guy. But you can all share your story. In fact, uh, there is a recent Gallup poll that showed that eighty to ninety percent of people, even though uh, they would say that we live kind of in this post-Christian world and not everybody really truly lives following Jesus, nonetheless, this Gallup poll said that today, even somewhere between eighty to ninety percent of people still believe in God. See, what most people want is not necessarily to know all of your past or to know your uh, explanations or all of your detailed facts about the resurrection. But what most people want, what most people want is to know that there is hope for their future. And we have that in Jesus. Because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we all have hope of new life in him. So church, tell your story. Share your story. Uh, I want to finish the end of this uh, chapter, though. If we uh, pick back up in verse 24, we'll go through the end. It says this, "'At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. "'You're out of your mind, Paul,' he shouted. "'Your great learning is driving you insane.' "'I'm not insane, most excellent Festus,' Paul replied. "'What I'm saying is true and reasonable, "'and the king is familiar with these things, "'and I can speak freely to him. "'I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice "'because it was not done in a quarter.' King Agrippa, you do believe the prophets. You do believe the prophets. I know you do. But King Agrippa, knowing what Paul is trying to do here, he says to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? But Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. But the king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. And after they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man hasn't done anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, in a way, we read this, and it's kind of like, Oh, that's a disappointing end to the story on all accounts, isn't it? First of all, uh, Paul makes his defense, but as far as we can tell, Agrippa really never accepts Jesus, for all we know. And so it doesn't really work out the way that we would hoped. And not only that, but we see that very last verse there when he says that Paul could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, and that's when we all collectively want to smack ourselves on the forehead and go, Paul, what were you thinking? Like, if only you hadn't said that. Like, we could have been reading about your next missionary journey. There could have been more churches planted. Paul, you could, have, you could have gone and defended your faith. You could have done all these sorts of things. If only you hadn't said that, Paul. However, this was, in fact, God's plan all along. Uh, we skipped over at the beginning, but uh, if you look back at chapter 23, verse 11, in the middle of this whole ordeal, It says, that the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. See, this isn't a disappointing end to the story. This is how God will use Paul to even greater capacities to share his faith. And we'll see how he does that next week as we close out the book of Acts. But we see that when Jesus makes a promise, it holds true. Now, when we're sharing our faith with other people, it sometimes doesn't always work. In fact, Jesus even promised that that would happen. We may not see the end that we want, or uh, it may not happen in our timing, but we know this. We know that God is in control. We just have to be faithful to Him. So what do we do, church? We tell the story. Uh, and now, uh, for some of us, I recognize that uh, this can be a little bit difficult, because it's like, well, you know, we live here in the middle of this, you know, Bible Belt, and there's a church on every corner, and there's a church on top of half of those churches, and it's like, you know, I don't know any people that don't know about Jesus. And believe me, I get that. I work in a church, right? Like most of my friends are all Christians, my small group is Christians, all my college buddies are Christians, sometimes I wonder about a few of my coworkers, but for the most part, like everybody that I know believes in Jesus. But that's not really entirely true. Think about the circles that you walk in. Think about the people at your job. Think about your neighbors. What about maybe that person at the coffee shop that you go to every day and they're always serving you every morning? Or what about, uh, you know, the, uh, there's another parent on your kid's soccer team? Or whoever it is. I think if we open ourselves up to God's leading, you'll find that he will put people in your path. Or he'll show you people who are already there. And I know that at times it's tough and it can be, uh, you know, uh, nervous and, you know, feel awkward and, and it can be difficult for us. Or we get worried and, and we wonder, what's going to happen if I share my faith? Am I going to be ostracized? Am I going to be, uh, you know, left out of the lunch meetings from my job? Or are people not going to like me? Are people going to look down on me? Are they even going to, like, you know, get mad and do something bad? I don't know. I don't know. But I know what will happen if we don't share our faith. But we can't control how people respond. That's between them and the Holy Spirit working in their life. That's not for us to decide. But we can choose whether we'll be obedient to God's direction. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can do this church. Tell the story. Let's watch this video.
1: As early as I can remember, I just uh, have very fond memories of being a friend of of God. I was uh, like 13 years old and just really fell into the this horrible trap of lusting. And God showed me you know, this is my favorite verse, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. For the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so I did the hardest thing I'd ever done and I confessed my sin to my best friend. He prayed for me and God just like freed me and really healed me. He just t- took my sin and threw it as far as the east is from the west and I just like fell in love with the beauty of Jesus. Then when I was like 16, I got my driver's license and uh, I gathered some friends together. We were like, hey, let's learn how to like share the gospel with people. And so I just would go to the mall and, you know, walk around promenade, try to like talk with anybody that would talk with me. that it turned into going around my neighborhood and just talking with people. It turned into going in my public school, being present with people, hearing some of their story and what struggles they've had. And then to be very intentional, uh, to speak words of mercy through Jesus Christ, uh, speak words of grace. And, hey, you don't, you don't have to perform anymore. Like you actually get to be fully accepted Because Jesus was rejected, He has reconciled a faraway man and brought man and woman into union with God once again. I think of my friend Dylan. We were like just having a worship time at OSU undergrad campus and just kind of like stumbled in because he saw a guitar and uh, I just asked him like hey what's up what's your life like and what's your story and and over the course of that hour um, he was bawling and I was bawling and over the course of that first semester I got to meet up with him twice a week one-on-one I also just invited him to church and campus ministry and now like Five years later, like like I, David got to disciple Dylan. Dylan's gone to disciple a brother named Matt. He's gone to disciple a guy named Cole. He's gone to disciple a guy named Asher, as well as Mark. And what an honor, what a complete joy. Uh, also, I had some experiences of just kind of fell flat. So this one time I got to like go through an entire gospel presentation. This man just straight up said, I don't believe it, but that's okay. And I can still pray for him. I can still share the gospel with him. Um, I can still love him with with my life and and, and care for him as I care for myself. Evangelism is using the gospel to bring those far from God near. Some practical tools you can use is uh, writing out your story and so encourage you to do that. I've, I've had my story written now and, and I've changed it over the years. Uh, but I, Currently my copy is a half half page that talks about the outside me um, and then you turn around on the back side and you kind of get the inside me. This is uh, who God is and this is what he's done in my life. You know you can even just share that story um, even really simply like with 20 seconds. Like this is what I was before Christ. This is how Christ changed me, and now I'm like this. Um, do you have a story like that? But the focus is not on any of these tools. The Focuses on our Savior and trusting in Him that He will save people, as He's promised. People from every nation, tribe, uh, tongue, and people are going to be before the throne, praising God, worshiping Him with, with all they have, and. Oh, I can't find anything more fun on this earth than seeing that happen. We have to use our our lips and our lives to proclaim this amazing news that we're sinners but there's a savior. Please, please share this like with every single person that you can meet.